1: Welcome everyone to another edition of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden in partnership with Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me as always is Justin Mello. Justin, tough loss on Sunday Night Football. How are you doing? Doing well. Yeah, it was certainly an interesting one uh, that we have to recap
0: here. Titans fall 20-17. to 17. To the Kansas City Chiefs in overtime at is it still called Arrowhead Stadium? I thought it was. It they is. Kept, oh yeah. What was that? I oh, don't. They were saying, they kept showing something. I'm like, I don't. I don't know what that is. But anyway, <laughs> 2017 to the Chiefs at Arrowhead on Sunday Night Football.
1: Oh, it's um, Geha Field at Arrowhead Stadium. It, there you mean? go.
0: That's what I. I knew I wasn't crazy. That's what I saw. That was kind of throwing me for a loop. But um, tough one, tough one. But well, we're here to recap it nonetheless.
1: Yeah, the Titans. Just couldn't hold on long enough. We've seen this story a few times this year. Have a lead in the second half. Can't score fourth quarter points. Titans still stuck on nine fourth quarter points for the season. And this game, it really felt like the AFC Championship game in 2019 where the Titans have a lead and they have figured out how to really put a clamp on a really explosive Chiefs offense. And instead of continuing to dominate them, Patrick Mahomes takes it upon himself, starts running the ball with using his legs. And I think, you know, we all saw that was the difference in the game on that final Chiefs touchdown drive. The one that they scored to cut it to two and then convert the two-point conversion. Mahomes made three huge plays with his legs. The third and 17 scramble, which was just so frustrating to watch. The run into the end zone where Jeffrey Simmons almost gets him down. And then, of course, converting their third try on the two-point conversion after a couple of Titans penalties. It was like the Titans had no answer for Mahomes' legs. And that's where I think we're going to start because for the rest of the game, I mean, the Chiefs opened the game with two Long drives that were successful. They got to the red zone on the first one, and the Titans defense stiffened up. They scored a touchdown on their second drive. And then from there, the Titans defense was lights out until Mahomes started using his legs and got the ball downfield that way. Overall, a really commendable effort by this Titans defense, but just like in the Giants game, when it really mattered and they needed to make one or two stops, they didn't do it. I don't want to blame this game on the defense at all, though, because holding the Chiefs to 20 points, that's a win most weeks, but not this week.
0: Yeah, I think you and I rarely disagree on here. And I know you said, you know, commendable effort. I still think I'm going to disagree with you big time here that mentioned the Titans defense at all, because let me give you a stat. Titans defense was on the field for 100 snaps in this game. It's almost unheard of. I don't remember the last time I saw a defense on the field for 100 plays. Every week, it's like somewhere between 55 to 70, I think is probably roughly a safe estimation. 100 snaps against the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, and you hold them to 20 points in a game that went to overtime. This wasn't just a commendable effort by the Titans defense. This is one of the best efforts I think I've ever seen by the Titans defense. And I I know, look, you've had shutouts. You've held team to three points, 10 points. You held them to three points last year. This was an unbelievable defensive performance. You were getting nothing, and I mean nothing, from your offense in the second half. I saw Jeffrey Simmons near the end of the game. I think it was in overtime, where he's on the sideline. He just looked exhausted. You just saw him standing there, kind of gasping for air. He had been banged up, sweat dripping from his chin. You just, like, literally just falling to the ground as he's standing there. And I'm like... This to me perfectly captures the effort that this defense has put forth today. Like they gave it everything. And yes, Mahomes made some plays at the end of the game. Certainly you you can't give up a third and 17 with his legs. I I get that. The defense has to own that. You got to make a stop there when necessary. You got to be aware of what he had kind of already been doing, right? He was growing into the game using his legs. You got to be aware of that and, and stop that. But Outside of that, I mean, how many chances did this offense have to put the game away? Like, you had this eight-point lead, and at least for me, you just felt it. Like, you know what? It's still a one-possession game. You've got, like, just go get a field goal. Like, they had times where they got the ball in good field position on their own 30, their own 35, their own 40, whatever. Go get a field goal. Go make it an 11-point game in the fourth quarter, and this is probably game over the way this defense is playing. So for me, this is 100% on the offense and and their epic failure in the second half to do anything of note.
1: Yeah, the Titans had nine consecutive drives where they failed to get a first down to end the game. And that excludes the end of half kneel down. So really 10 drives where they failed to get a first down, but that one they didn't even try to. So nine drives in a row, they didn't get a first down. The only reason they got the second half field goal was because of Roger McCreary's interception setting them up already in field goal range. And watching this game, and we were chatting about it during the game, and I I said, there's no way the Titans win this game without forcing another turnover because the offense was so stuck in the mud. And I think you have to give, like you said, a ton of credit to the Titans' defense. One of the reasons they were out there for so long is because they did allow lots of long drives that were... You know, there's so many plays because the Chiefs weren't picking up huge chunks, which is, again, a credit to the defense. And that was the game plan, I think. We talked about it going in how that would probably be the game plan is force them to, you know, beat you underneath instead of letting them beat you over the top and make them go long drives without making mistakes. And the Chiefs were able to do it on three drives where they ended up with points. And the rest of the game, the defensive line was getting pressure on Mahomes. They showed a stat during the game. The Titans have been getting pressure at the second highest rate in the league, according to the next gen stats numbers. And This defensive line continues to show that they are an elite force, even without Harold Landry, even with Bud Dupree leaving this game in the second half, they're still getting pressure on Mahomes, still tackling him in the backfield, forcing sacks, but yes, they couldn't close it out. But yes, I agree. I mean, the offense, let's talk about how, let's talk about the failures of the offense. And then we'll look at some encouraging bright spots before we head in to a little bit of a, like. we'll look at the AFC South updates and a, a brief playoff picture update at the end of this episode. But, Failures of the offense. I want to start with the because like it's always hard to say, was it coaching? Is it players? Is it the players on the field? Is it their inability to execute? Are they just not good enough? It's everything in this game. The, The wide receivers are not good enough. The offensive line is not good enough. They were not executing plays that were called for them to be potentially executed, even though they're not good enough. And the coaching staff did not put them all in the best situation to succeed most of the game and i really want to talk about derrick henry's lack of usage in the second half because henry finished this game i mean he was ripping off chunks 10 yards a carry in the first half he finished the game with 17 carries for 115 yards and two touchdowns including two long runs which by the way can we just briefly say derrick henry scores on those runs prior to his foot injury those are derrick henry touchdowns And he got caught from behind twice in this game where it just looks like this is age 28 and up Derrick Henry. He's going to break long runs, but he's not going to score them. Anyway, I'll let you comment comment on that in a second. But the lack of giving him the ball, even when I get it, like you need to go score quickly. You don't have time to just like hand it off to Derrick Henry. But him being on the sidelines, I don't know if he's dealing with some kind of injury. We have... Boots on the ground reporter Robert Greenlaw was at the game. Said Henry went into the blue medical tent a couple of times, but then he's standing on the sideline holding his helmet. Like he looked like he was ready to go back in the game. He did play a little bit in the second half, so I don't really want to credit it to some kind of injury. And Derrick Henry's a tough guy. Like he played through the whole Colts game with a foot injury. Like if, like he's going to keep playing if he can keep playing. But they chose the personnel to run these, like these pass packages. And for some reason, Henry's not a part of those. And I know Henry's not the best receiving threat, but this guy gets the ball in space and he can score on any play. Like he can flip the field with one play when everyone knows he's getting the ball. Look at the Houston game last week. Look at what he did in the first half of this game. So, it's just really frustrating as a fan to watch the team not, like, they don't have any weapons on offense, and the only player that's capable of making a big play is on the sideline in the most crucial moments of the game. Just not a good way to go out. Like, go out swinging with your best players, not having them on the sideline. I don't know. That just really frustrated me.
0: Yeah, First, I guess you you wanted me to comment on the speed thing. Yeah, I think we saw a similar one against the Colts, right, where he kind of ran away a little and got and got caught from behind. But uh, it, I don't think it's a huge deal per se, right? He's been he's leading the league in rushing right now, so he's been extremely successful this season, nonetheless. And yeah, the, the second half usage bothered me as well. And I know Greenlaw again, who, who does the amazing uh, terrible Twitter takes weekly series at Broadway Sports. So that he saw him go into the medical tent uh, uh, twice, I think Greenlaw had said. Certainly interesting information, but I also feel like if there was an injury, uh, I doubt the sideline would have missed that, especially during right. Sunday night football. Like the sideline reporter, guys sometimes go in the medical in the medical tent. It's a tent, right? Sometimes they get equipment a- adjusted or change cleats. Like it really could have been anything, right? That that he went in there for, and I I would venture it probably wasn't an injury. If it, and if it was. Uh, terrible work by the Sunday Night Football crew <laughs> crew to miss that uh, right. to miss that one. But yeah, I, I definitely had an issue. Right, I, I don't know how this is such a close ball game. You've got Malik Willis under center, and Derrick Henry ends up with 17 carries. You didn't get blown out, and right, it had to change your game script. Or You're game winning flow. 14 to
1: nine at halftime. Yeah.
0: You're winning most of the game essentially, right? Like once you once you flipped it on its head to 14 nine, you weren't trailing again until you lost it. So, right doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I will say, other than that, I'm not too nitpicky this week on the coaching staff. Like, I don't I don't have a ton of play calls that I despised. Interestingly enough, I will say, and, and Titans fans may not agree with me, but it's, it's a little ironic. At times, I felt they weren't conservative enough. And we're usually here slamming them for being too conservative. But like, there was a couple of bold downfield uh, deep shots on even second and 10 where I was like, given the situation, the total lack of success you've had passing the ball this week and last week, like I'm running Derrick Henry again on second and ten. See if I can get myself in third and five or shorter. Because I'm
1: sorry, I misspoke. The Titans did pick up one first down in the second half, and that was okay. on their five play, eight-yard drive, <laughs> where that's that started with this was 1253 to go in the fourth quarter with a 17-9 lead. Henry runs for four yards, second and six, Henry runs for seven yards. First and 10 at the Kansas City 39. Henry runs for one yard, and this is the sequence you're talking about. The next two plays were a pass deep down the field for Nick Westbrook-Akina, which was a really good pass that was was like a tiny bit underthrown, but Nick Westbrook went up, put both hands on the ball, and failed to come down with it. And then the next play, you're staring at third and nine. They try to set up a screen, and Dontrell Hilliard gets blown up in the backfield for a four-yard loss. And that's, I mean... If you run the ball on that second and nine, instead of... I mean, Henry had just ripped off these runs. You run the ball again on second and nine, set yourself up with a third and short. Maybe Malik can make something happen with his legs. Maybe you can pick up that first down, or you're in range to potentially go for it on fourth down. You're sitting at the Kansas City 35-yard line. That was a bad sequence there, and I totally agree, a little too aggressive. But I will say that Malik made three really nice downfield throws and potentially a fourth, that were just not caught. The first one was to Chris yeah. Conley. There was that one to Nick Westbrook-Akina. There was the one to Austin Hooper down the left sideline. That was pr- a pretty blatant pass interference. that was not I- called, but still Hooper's got to make a better e- effort for the ball. And then there was the one to Cody Hollister, where if Cody Hollister runs a back shoulder comeback route, he's going to catch the ball for a 15 yard gain. And instead he's like blocking downfield. Like he has no idea what's going on. I don't know. I mean, I definitely want to get into this wide receiver group and I think coming up on, you know, 13 minutes into this episode now might be a good time to get to our beef of the week. What do you say?
0: Yeah, I'll let you go beef of the week because I didn't get to finish my last point, but it's essentially what we're about to talk about anyway, I think. So why don't we get into beef of the week and then I'll wrap up my point.
1: All right. This is presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden located in East Nashville. The best brats, the best burgers. They got uh, local breweries that they're partnered with there. So make sure you head over to the Pharmacy. And the Pharmacy sponsors our Beef of the Week segment, which is where we take issue with something that's happened related to the Titans. And my Beef of the Week this week is with the Titans wide receivers. The Titans became... This was the fourth game since the year 2000, since the 2000 season, that a team did not complete a pass to their wide receivers. This includes the Patriots not completing a pass in that insane windy game against Buffalo. It includes the game that um, Kendall Hinton started at quarterback for the Broncos when they had nobody because of a COVID emergency. And one other game in there. And the Titans failed to complete a pass to a wide receiver on Sunday night. Look, you got a rookie quarterback making his second start. A guy everyone knows is a raw project, tons of of talent, but really has to develop as an as a quarterback. So when you're in that situation, you gotta come into this game knowing you gotta make a play for your quarterback. And if the ball hits you in the hands and you don't catch it against the Chiefs with your rookie quarterback on the road in prime time, I mean, step up and make a freaking play, man. Like just make one play for your guy. If even one of those four downfield throws that were that were good throws are caught it's a whole different ball game because just one of those catches sets you up in field goal range it's just so frustrating to know that and yeah Traylon Burks and Kyle Phillips are on IR and they would be huge additions to this wide receiver room as it currently stands but Robert Woods was billed as a guy who could be reliable get where he's supposed to be get open and make the catch even if he's not going to be super dynamic uh Nick Westbrook was a guy that you know, last year he had a decent season, undrafted free uh, former undrafted free agent. Like, you don't expect too much from him, but at least, like, do something. Make a play at some point when the ball's thrown your way. And I know this receiver room is, like, probably the worst group of, of receivers in the NFL that were fielded on Sunday night. You know, you had Traylon Burks and, and Kyle Phillips in there. Maybe it's not the worst group, but we don't have those guys right now on the field. Titans relying on two rookies to, like, not be the worst receiving group in the NFL is a pretty bleak place to be. So my beef of the week is with the receivers who failed to help out their rookie quarterback, who failed to make a play when it was, you know, just the only hope the Titans had was one of these guys comes down with a ball and they can't do it. Ah, I just really wish the Titans had one of these like there's so many young stud receivers around the league. Like I look at a, a guy, just a random example, a guy like you know, AJ Brown with with the Eagles and what he's doing and how cool it would be if the Titans had a player like that.
0: Really good player. <laughs> really good football player. Uh, Um, no, I think that does it for beef of the week. I'm not going to give you a different one because I I think that's totally fair. Um, the point I was trying to wrap up essentially gets into this here. You're begging someone to make a play. You said, right? It was someone go make a play. They don't have anyone that can. It's that simple. And, the point I was making where I was saying I'm not going to be overly nitpicky on the coaching staff. Cause yeah, again, there were a couple of play calls that I thought were surprisingly overly aggressive that I wouldn't have called. And I would have ran Derrick Henry more as we talked about his total carry number. They don't have receivers to make a play, right? Like I yeah. just said, and uh, speaking of Nick Westbrook, n- we haven't talked enough in general, this fan base, like what the heck has happened to Nick Westbrook? Like not that I think he's some world beater by any stretch of the imagination, but he had 38 catches last year, 476 yards. You know what he has this year? He's got three I mean... balls. <laughs> he's got three catches for 33 yards on eight targets. Like the wide receiver group is worse this year than last year. He's yeah. in a He's lot. I know they had a lot of injuries last year. And at times it looked very similar, right? In all honesty, when they were rolling out Des Fitzpatrick and Cody Hollister last season, but he's supposed to be in a bigger role this year, right? He's got three catches. Like, I don't. I don't know what to make of that, essentially. It's just they they don't have anyone that can make a play. So that's why, ultimately, my issue isn't with the coaching staff and people are going to keep complaining about Todd Downing. And, yes, again, I think you can get a little bit nitpicky here and there like I have. I I talked about Henry, talked about aggressive play calls, yada, yada. But my issue is with the talent. They don't have talent. Like, this is what you get when you don't have talent. Like, yeah, you'd like to see Chris Conley make that catch near the sideline but Chris Conley isn't a good enough NFL receiver to consistently make that catch down the sideline. That's That's why why he was
1: available for the practice squad.
0: Nick Westbrook's got three catches this year. That's why he doesn't make that catch. Yeah. This is, this is the scenario they've put themselves in based on how they've built this receiver room.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And then uh, one thing I really want to talk about here with the playmakers you have available to you is, you know, a lot of, Twitter chatter about the uh Jeff Swaim screen setup that resulted in Malik Willis taking a sack with very little time remaining in the game on the Titans' last ditch effort to go get a tying field goal or game winning touchdown and uh Jeff Swaim holds his block for like 5 seconds on a designed screen for him. Like what are you doing Jeff Swaim? And I I'm going to say that this play could have worked. It definitely yeah. could have worked. It if was Malik still on Willis Malik. If Malik stands in there just a little bit longer and waits for Swaim to come available, he's going to have a guy bearing down on him. But, you know, we saw Ryan Tannehill throw that awesome screen touchdown to Dontrell Hilliard a few weeks ago where he had three guys bearing down on him. It could have looked like that if Malik stays in there a little longer and, and gives it to Swame and the blocking was set up, that that could have been a successful play. I'll agree with that. But when you're relying on a screen to Jeff Swame to be your successful play, I mean, this isn't like first quarter, second quarter, like let's move the ball a little bit and catch the defense off guard. This is like clutch crunch time. If you don't convert this, you lose the game and you're calling a screen to Jeff Swain. Like that's not necessarily an indictment on the coaching staff because again, the play could have worked. It's more an indictment on the available players you have to you. But failing to get Henry involved in the passing game at all is another example here. I'd way rather that have been a screen to Henry or a fake screen to Henry screen to somebody else on the other side of the field. Like even if Henry is injured and that's all speculation, even if the entire defense is going to focus all their attention on Derrick Henry, because they know he's the only playmaker Use that. Use that against them. Put him on the field so the defense knows that they have to account for this guy. Otherwise, you leave your rookie quarterback susceptible to this kind of mistake where he doesn't have the experience to know that he needs to stand in that pocket, that extra beat, and wait for Swaim to pop open because he's looking for Jeff Swaim to catch the ball. And when he doesn't see it happen immediately... The, the clock's already sped up in his head. They're already telling him, you know, like, what has he probably been hearing since the preseason is like, you can't hold the ball that long. You got to get the, the plays happening. You got to make the play as it's happening. You can't wait too long for it to overdevelop. And in this instance, he had to wait a little longer, but that's like, again, he doesn't have the experience to know that that's what he needs to do in that situation. So asking that to be your like game saving play is absolutely mind boggling to me. Just like totally. And again, Ultimately, it's on Malik Willis. If Ryan Tannehill is running that play, it it'll, it would have worked. And the Titans win this game if Ryan Tannehill is a quarterback. As well as Malik yep. played in some moments, there were too many moments that you can say if Ryan Tannehill was still a quarterback for this team or was healthy enough, I mean, obviously he's still the quarterback. If he was healthy enough to be the quarterback in this game, they probably win. But I just like, I don't know. It's so frustrating because you look at this game and there's so many little moments like that where if one little thing goes different, if they don't call... Uh, defensive contact on Josh Kalou on a play where he literally has his entire helmet ripped off. The game is, it has a different outcome. Like there's so many little moments that the game could have had a different outcome, but anyway, put Derrick Henry on the field. Even if you're going to run a screen to Jeff Swain, put Derrick Henry on the field. So the defense has to be like, okay, we know where Derrick Henry is. All 11 eyes are going to be on him. I don't know. Whatever.
0: I I, I thought, it bothered me that they didn't call a single screen to Henry during this He game. had zero
1: uh, targets.
0: Yeah, I thought that, I mean, he's had some success in the passing game this year, right? He, right. The, last week against Houston, wasn't he? took a screen and he stiff-armed two defenders, and he it took it for at least a 15, 20-yard gain or so. So I was disappointed they didn't call a screen to Henry. But again, nitpicking, I thought the Swain play should have worked. I thought that was on Malik for not throwing it. You know, and he, don't throw it. Dirt it at his feet. If you yeah. don't want to throw it, because yeah, he ended up losing 13 yards on the sack, made it third and 21. That was game over right there, right? It was curtains. So I don't want to get into the, th- but I think Titans fans are going to blow out of proportion how good Malik played in this game, in all honesty. Like, I don't want to. I agree. Yeah, because I, I he, he, it was better. I wrote an article for the Draft Network analyzing this start. It was definitely better. He was more decisive, he was definitely way more accurate. We talked about some of those drop balls. Um, so I'm not putting this all on him. Like I, I put Houston on him, even though they won that Houston game. He was definitely better in this game. But I think this is going to become the Dylan Radins against San Francisco game where we're all going to remember how amazing Malik, like, it, it was. It was progress, but there were still instances like that one, right? Where that was such a crucial moment in the game where he doesn't throw the screen. That was uh, really kind of captures how raw he still is in his development.
1: For sure, but I think you've seen—I saw enough in this game to be extremely encouraged. The back shoulder throw to Austin Hooper that that set up Henry's t- second touchdown, I think, was a really nice play. Every time that he was in, like, a true drop back situation and he let it fly at the top of his drop early in his progression with those, like, downfield throws that were so— Beautiful and well placed ball wise. The throw, the first throw to Hooper where he's rolling out to his right and it looks like he's throwing it away and it's a pinpoint dot to Hooper up the sideline. I mean, that was an incredible throw. So I saw enough to be. I mean, if if progression's never linear, but if the progression from last week to this week can continue, which maybe it won't because maybe Tannehill comes back and then he has to stagnate a little bit again. But I mean, this is a guy who could could be capable of being a starter a little bit down the road. Um and which is all you can hope for out of your third round pick right now. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be the Titan starter next season. I agree with what you said in our chat earlier, that there's still more likelihood that Ryan Tannehill returns as a starter than that they move on to Malik. But if they get in a situation where the cap is, they're up against the, their, the wall with the cap and they want to try and see where this thing goes for a season and think we have a good enough defense that we can still win the South as Malik takes his bump, takes his lumps, or whatever the expression is, it's not out of the question. Um I think Titans fans will blow this out of proportion, but there was a lot more good than bad in this game. And that's not, you couldn't have said that about the Houston game.
0: Yeah. I can't remember how many throws impressed me in the Houston game. Right. It's like, yeah, maybe one, right. Yeah. Like at, at most, whereas in this one, you probably single out like five, right. Five or six, right. Like the completion to Hooper, you mentioned the DPI, the non DPI to Hooper, the throws to Conley and, and, and Nick Westbrook, they don't get caught. So, there were definitely a couple dots in this game that uh, certainly I- impressed you significantly more than really anything he did against Houston. And then also the usage with his legs, right? I think 40 yards on on 12 carries or eight carries, I think it was. So yep, certainly uh, more yep. impressive. And credit to Downing for that because that they finally, you know, it looked like they had a game plan for Malik Willis where that wasn't really the case against Houston. They you know, Some RPO-based passing situations got him out on the edge, got him out of the tackle box and allowed him to use his athletic ability a bit more.
1: Chica Cuonco took the very first play of the game, 48 yards, Break broke like 15 tackle. I mean, he just like ran through a mob of players and it looked like it was going to be a four-yard gain and suddenly he's exploding through the line and, and racing downfield. Did not receive, um, he had two more targets in the game, but did not receive another design touch play for him. Why not run that last play to Jeff Swaim to Chig, a guy who's a dynamic player with the ball in his hands who can make people miss and actually pick up yards after catch very encouraging though to see chig aquanco make such an amazing play on that first play but then i just wish they had given him the ball a little more after that
0: yeah i think uh i want to shout out the rookie class in general uh, i'm going to take that opportunity because again chig made that play nicholas Petit free continues to you know give you passable play at right tackle roger McCreary first career interception right on sunday night which was a great heads up play on a sort of a Travis Kelsey drop slash, you know, fumble opportunity sort of thing where he kind of scoops it out of thin air, which again was a really nice heads up play, great hands-eye coordination. Uh, so shout out to the rookie class once again, showing up, showing out. And that's without Traylon Burts and Kyle Phillips, as you mentioned. Quick thing Hassan I want to add. Haskins had a huge yeah. special
1: teams tackle that made the whole sideline go whole crazy. Side that line, was
0: cool. Whole sideline exploded. Uh, on the topic of Chigakuanquo, the topic of the receivers, again, I'm going to make one last uh, mention here. Uh, Sean Calderon, a friend of certainly Titans Twitter, a friend of Broadway Sports, tweeted out that the next-gen stats average receiver separation for this game for the Titans. League average is 2.92 yards of separation, by the way. Uh, Cody Hollister had 0.57 yards of separation throughout this game. Chris Conley had 0.88. Austin Hooper had an even two. Robert Woods, certainly the most disappointing uh, stat here, had 0.92 separation. So again, that's three receivers below one yard of separation when the league average is nearly three. Chikonkwo, uh, I guess, was a team high. And in all honesty, still not that impressive. Well, he wasn't targeted all that much, but 2.24 yards of separation. So once again, go back to the point I made earlier. This is what they're working with.
1: Yeah, it's true. And that's why you got to give the ball to Derrick Henry a little bit more. <laughs> um, how about Mario Edwards Jr., though? I mean, this is a guy that has been in the league a little bit with the Raiders and some other, a couple other teams, maybe um, coming out of nowhere. I feel like to, to make plays when Bud Dupree went out of this game. Although I will say those Patrick Mahomes scrambles likely don't happen. If Bud Dupree is on, is still in the game to set the edge. Yeah. He was
0: playing and, them a lot better. He was playing them a lot better earlier in the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, so you hope that his hip's okay. He was questionable coming into this game with an illness. He's been dealing with that hip all season.
0: I feel like a broken record here, Graver. What do I do every week? I come on this show and I talk about Mario Edwards Jr., Andrew <laughs> Adams, Dylan Cole, DeMarcus Walker, who I believe had a sack in this game, and so did Edwards, or right? I think they both had sacks. In they, this bet, game. they each
1: had a sack and Autry had two.
0: The Titans just keep getting defensive contributions again. I'm, you could just play this clip from last week; it's astounding. I, and I thought, like as much as I've praised Edwards Jr. and Demarcus Walker, this was arguably the best game they've both played in a Titans uniform. And Walker's yeah. been here all year long. And, you know, Edwards just got here a few weeks ago, I think off uh, Jacksonville's practice squad. Jacksonville got too much talent on the defensive line. They couldn't use Marsville Edwards Jr. I mean, that's uh, – the Steelers got the worst secondary in the NFL, one of, in my opinion. They couldn't use Andrew Adams in the secondary. That's, that's where he came from, by the way. So something about this coaching staff, something about this scheme, something about this defense that just puts guys in positions to win.
1: And honestly, this is kind of a further indictment on Caleb Farley, I think, because you have guys picking up off the street. I'm serious. I mean, this is like you're right. Yeah. Like if you can insert random player X from some team's practice squad and get a, a solid performance out of them. And if Caleb Farley's on the field, the other team is at risk of scoring a touchdown over his head at any given moment that's not good. And like, I think that this coaching staff in general does a great job developing players on the defensive side of the ball. We've seen tons of players on defense improve through other time with the Titans, even if it's a short time and we continue to see Caleb Farley. I mean, he he didn't play a defensive snap in this game because if he did, you're liable to see Michael Hardman run into the end zone with him falling down on his face behind him. So Things aren't looking great for Caleb Farley right now, especially this season. And I don't know if we'll see him again this year unless uh, injuries strike uh, a huge number of secondary players. Can we quickly talk about the Chiefs running back production in this game? Clyde Edwards-Alaire, four carries for five yards. Isaiah Pacheco, five carries for five yards. Jarek McKinnon, three carries for four yards. And Michael Burton, the fullback, one carry for zero yards on that, what was that, the third and one or the, that led to the fourth and inches, I think. This Titans front forced the Chiefs to throw the ball. I mean, Mahomes threw it 68 times. That's too shy of the record for attempts in a game. Chief- Mahomes put up 446 passing yards on his own. Chiefs put up 499 yards and only scored 20 points. Again, this defense played out of their minds and I- they didn't make the key stop at the end. But I think there's a lot of, you know, I hate to be the guy that complains about officials. That call where Travis Kelsey rips Josh Kalou's head off, unbelievably bad call. On that same drive, there was at least three times that they could have called holding on the uh, on the Chiefs' offensive line with the Titans' pass rushers bearing down. Now, I get it. You know, clutch situations. You don't want to put the game in the hands of the officials. You know, you want to let the players play. I'm really not complaining about those things. But I do think, you know, if this game was officiated slightly more strictly, like the way that it was in the first half, which was pretty strict, I felt, felt like, and with, like, uh there was like a holding penalty or a, a block in the back on the oh. Titans. That was like, what even, the wh- where do you? Even...
0: On Cody Hollister. Sorry. I had to cut you. because It sounded like I remembered it better than you did. Oh, it was the yeah. worst. Just awful. Like, like there's nothing, like there's literally nothing there. Like I think Cody Hollister might breathe on the guy's back and it yeah, happened. I-, I know this doesn't really matter, but it happens on like the opposite side of the field where the- like the run plays already passed. Like it was, that was terrible. I will say about the uh, the Kalou call on Kelsey in the end zone. I'm not saying I disagree with you, but I did find it interesting that Mike Vrabel uh, spoke with the media on Monday and he kind of agreed with the call. And we know Vrabel's well, not afraid to complain about. I mean, he'll send an email to the whole league, right? It was on ESPN a few well, weeks ago. He even ago. said
1: in that press conference, like the Twitter handle is at NFL officiating. If you want to take it up with them,
0: <laughs> yeah. But um, but he he did say the defender's entitled to space, <laughs> but he can't get the hands outside of him, right? Yeah. So, and, and he was talking like about Wabel how yeah, it felt like he didn't have a huge issue with the call.
1: Agreed, and he was like, "This is how Travis Kelsey plays. Travis Kelsey is allowed to get away with that because that's what he's done for years." And it felt like he didn't necessarily like that that happens, but that he wasn't surprised that it was able to happen in this game. So anyway. You know, huge effort by the defense and the offense cannot help them out at all in the second half. It was really cool to see Teron Davenport tweeted this. Derrick Henry going around the locker room, shaking every defensive player's hands, thanking them for their effort. That's your team captain right there, and and he knows that the offense let let the uh, let the defense down in this one, but it wasn't his fault. I mean, Henry did everything he could. He just wasn't on the field for the key moments, and I harped on that enough, I think. But I can. It could before, have been a different game.
0: Before we transition away. I just want to add, I can I can talk about this defense the entire day. Like you right. talked about, you talked about the the production or lack of production Kansas City got from the running game. It gives me a chance to shout out friend of the pod T. R. Tart. Right, like what T. R. Tart did in that game, and what they, did the uh, Damian Pierce showered him with praise the week before against Houston. T. R. Tart was excellent in this game. He had that one pass rush move. I think he hit. I think it was the center. He hit with a quick inside swim move and just chased Mahomes down. I think forced the throw away. Um, and this defense—they didn't have Amani Hooker on Sunday, right? They're going to get Elijah Molden back soon. Like Joshua Kalu played a lot of snaps because they essentially kept rolling with those three safety looks. That's worked for them lately, right? They essentially Adams was essentially in uh, in Hooker's role. Kalu came onto the field, although Kalu played in the slot some, I, I think, from what I from what I noticed on the broadcast. So uh, it, it's a, again, it just signals their willingness to just plug a guy in. When you replace Kalou with Amani Hooker and you get Elijah Molden back, and that probably takes Terrence Mitchell off the field, I assume, uh, it's only going to get better.
1: Right. And quick shout out to Christian Fulton, who we haven't really even talked about yet in this game. I mean, he was matched up on all kinds of different players. He had an incredible pass breakup on a Travis Kelsey target. He was all over the field, making tackles in the run game. And really, I mean, this guy is, is turning into an elite cornerback in this league. He's not going to get any praise or recognition nationally for some reason, because the Titans defense continues to allow players to throw for 440 passing yards and things like that. But, um, This guy is someone to build around and lock him up with a contract extension before he gets too expensive, I think, as soon as you can. Because uh, Christian Fulton's really like everything we expected when the Titans drafted him. And we talked about it a lot on this podcast. We talked to Christian Fulton on this podcast. And, I mean, we talked about how he was one of the best cover corners we'd ever scouted individually between the two of us. And he is really proving to be that for this Titans defense. So just a, a quick shout out to him there. Do you want to move on and talk a little bit about the rest of the AFC South for a second?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I'll shout out David Long quickly as well because I thought Long was terrific in this game. He, when I think of guys like Christian Fulton and David Long, and I think of the Titans' defensive identity, a word that comes to mind is "pesty," right? Like yeah. they're like they're just they're annoying to play against, right? And and Fulton is playing with terrific confidence right now. Like the breaks he was getting on the ball, Chiefs fans were booing. Sorry, not past interference. No, Perfect it's just timing. Good, good so defense. Well executed. <laughs> He's playing terrific brand of football right now. But yes, I do want to talk about what happened in the AFC South because I got a feeling Titans fans are going to enjoy this.
1: So what you're talking about is obviously Jacksonville winning against the Raiders, right? <laughs> That's what happened in the AFC South. Over a
0: 17-point um, deficit. Third time this year, the Raiders have blown a 17-point lead. It's unheard of.
1: It's pretty bad. Um, the Titans currently sit 5 and 3 you know, we all know their record. They're two games above the Colts who are 3-5 and 1, Jaguars 3 and 6 and Houston bringing up the rear 1-6 and 1. So even with this loss, I do believe the Titans are still in extremely good position to win this division, especially because they're only real competition right now. I give me mean, the Jags at 3 and 6 are not out of it yet, but they don't seem like real competition. Their only real competition The Indianapolis Colts have fired head coach Frank Reich. And not only that, they have installed Jeff Saturday as the (laughs) interim head coach. Nobody on Indianapolis' staff has ever called plays at the NFL level, ever. So this will be a really interesting turn of events. Are the Colts trying to get... CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or or Hendo or one of these young quarterbacks that's expected to be pretty good and do the thing where they fall ass backward into another Peyton Manning Andrew Luck type of quarterback is that the plan or is Jim Mercer just off his rocker what the heck's going on
0: it's probably a little bit of both I got a lot of thoughts on this I mean first of all life comes at you fast in the NFL I say that a lot on this show right but look they entered this season with a quarter, a coach quarterback tandem of Frank Reich and Matt Ryan. Frank Reich, who played in a bunch of Super Bowls as an NFL quarterback, considered an offensive guru, calls plays, a veteran quarterback, and Matt Ryan, who's been to a Super Bowl, I think won an MVP once upon a time or a co MVP, whatever it was. He won MVP 2016. Yeah. yeah. So you entered this year with a quarterback coach duo, Frank Reich and Matt Ryan, and you were like, you love the experience, you love the fit. We're midway through the season. It's now Jeff Saturday and Sam Ellinger, whatever you pronounce his name. Like, it's like, oh my God, we've now got a coach that's never coached at the collegiate level or the NFL level. And we got a sophomore quarterback who's made two career starts, right? And was a, I mean, they did him no favors on Sunday, but Sam Ellinger was sacked nine times, I think had like 60 net passing yards on like 50 dropbacks. It was, he averaged 1.1 yard per dropback. When you when you when you factor in the net yards, I think they lost like 40 or 60 yards on sacks. So they were sacked nine times. So like. Oh, my, and this decision to hire to 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 hire Jeff Saturday, one fact I haven't seen thrown around enough. I thought was hilarious because everyone keeps mentioning how his only experience was coaching high school in Georgia. He last coached in 2020. He went three and seven with his high school football <laughs> team in Georgia. It's not even like he's the greatest high school player. They went three and seven in the last time he coached in high school. They bypassed Gus Bradley, the defensive coordinator, who's a head coach for four years in Jacksonville. I know he doesn't have a stunning record. He didn't have a stunning record in Jacksonville, but that was a terrible team. He's got good experience. He's one of the better defensive coordinators by reputation in the NFL, right? Like, And he's done a decent job with this Colts team. Like, I don't think their issue is they're awful defensively. It's their offense, right. right? That's let them down all year long. They bypassed John Fox. Now, I will add this. Everyone keeps saying that. Well, they had John Fox on staff. I am not convinced John Fox would have taken it. We don't know what happened there. John Fox is so late into his coaching career. He's a senior defensive assistant for them. Like, I don't know that John Fox wants to return to that lifestyle and wants that workload. So uh, ease up on guaranteeing that John Fox would have taken it. But Gus Bradley probably would have, right? Yeah. And... It's 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 an astounding decision, right? It really like it it came out of nowhere. Like the second they that they announced that, I said, "Oh my God, who's going to call plays?" Like yeah, th- and, and I, I thought of that immediately because I'm like, they fired the offensive coordinator a week ago, yeah, and he wasn't calling plays. Frank Reich was, but at least Marcus Brady probably could have called plays. So yeah. now, and it's funny how this works. I tweeted this out and no one engaged with it. I don't blame them because no one cares, but- I imagine it'll be quarterbacks coach, Scott Milanovich. Why am I so familiar with Scott Milanovich? He was the head coach of the Toronto Argonauts here where I live in the CFL for like five seasons. And he was very successful. They won a bunch of great cups, which is our version of the Super Bowl, with him. He has NFL coaching experience. like He's been on the staff for two years. He was the quarterback coach in Jacksonville for three years under Doug Maroney. So he's never called plays at the NFL level. He's never been an NFL offensive coordinator but he did call plays when he was here in Toronto with the Argos and won a bunch of great cups. He was an offensive coordinator in NFL Europe for a while. He was an offensive coordinator in the CFL before he was a head coach here. So like, he's got a lot of coaching experience. He's an offensive minded guy. I would assume he's going to be the one to call plays. And in all honesty, it's going to sound like he's probably not as out of his element as we want to think he is like he he's done this thing before. Right. So, but maybe Jeff Saturday will give it to Reggie Wayne. Maybe he won't give it to Scott Milanovic. right? Maybe he'll <laughs> give it to his, Reggie Wayne's the wide receiver coach. So, I'm not kidding. It's a possibility.
1: I know. I know. So, it's and like they played together. Yeah, we're so teammates.
0: He should give it to Scott Milanovich, but who the hell knows what's going to happen here? I mean, this this thing. we're not just biased Titans fans. That that's an it's an epic disaster. And there's and no honestly, Andrew Luck in this draft class. I'm sorry. You're talking about getting the number 1 pick. This class uh, it's honestly The more you study it, it's not as exciting as it was at the beginning of the season. C.J. Stroud, I like him. He's had his struggles. He's a pocket quarterback that might have been born in the wrong era. Will Levis, we saw what happened to him against Tennessee. The shine has worn off a lot. Hendon Hooker, I'm sorry, Vols fans. I don't see the NFL skill. He's a fifth, sixth-year senior, grad transfer. You saw what happened against Georgia that's the type of defenses you're going to play in the NFL. I don't have a lot of faith in Hendon Hooker as an NFL prospect and all. Honestly, I really don't. To me, he's a third, fourth round developmental pick. I know he might get thrown into the first ring fire. I don't think he, I don't, I don't think that's where it belongs right now. And then Bryce Young. I I look, I like Bryce Young, but there's going to be a lot of questions about his size, right? And his ability to hold up in the league. So uh, there's no Andrew Luck in this class. I don't even. I don't. Th- I don't think the Colts are going to get the number one pick. In all honesty, I think they might pick third or fourth when it's all said and done. But yeah, they probably are tanking and trying to draft a quarterback here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, this hiring to me is pretty crazy because the Texans were received a lot of public criticism for wanting to go after Josh McCown, who had no no experience at all with other minority candidates in consideration. And this to me feels like a classic case of, you know, hiring the white guy that you know versus giving a minority candidate who is more qualified, who has way more experience, a chance. And you talk, you know, there's conversations that go on around the league when minority candidates are up for a potential you know, head coaching job or even a coordinator job, and it's always there's a reference about how they they didn't necessarily have the experience, and then that creates conversations about how they need to be given more opportunities at the lower level to work them, themselves up and get that experience. But then you have a a situation where you just hire Jeff Saturday, who has no NFL coaching experience. He's a consultant for the Colts, or has been this season, not even on the co- actual coaching staff. I don't he, even think he's consulted this season. I think he's done so in the past. Like what? What is this? This is like J- Jim Ursay who. Has been receiving some, you know, I think warranted praise for calling out Dan Schneider for being a terrible owner and needing to sell the the Washington Commanders and everything that's happened with with that franchise. I think he needs to be under fire for this decision from a like a racial preference, you know, uh, like not not a conscious bias, but an unconscious bias that is permeating, you know, coaching ranks throughout the NFL that has led to the Brian Flores lawsuit and all this, you know, like, this is a huge issue that is being unlike like no one's talking about this. I saw Bill Barnwell tweet about it. He's It's the only person I've seen mention this. It was the first thing I thought of was how is this any different than the Texans wanting to hire Josh McCown because they know him and like him. Like what, this is a a disaster for the Indianapolis Colts. And and I couldn't be happier as a Titans fan.
0: (laughs) <laughs> I will say this. I think they sh- probably should have given it to Gus Bradley because he's the, he was the best candidate by far. But to your point on my uh, minorities receiving opportunities, if you wanted to hire an ex popular player, You've got Reggie Wayne on staff. Like right. Wayne, Wayne wouldn't have deserved it either, in all honesty, based on his Agreed. experience. But at least he's on staff right now and knows like Jeff Saturday's gonna show up. Have he's never seen the playbook. Like he's an ESPN analyst. Yeah, like, like Wayne, what are we doing? At least Reggie Wayne is in that building every day and has worked with the offense and like my point is Wayne could have been you wanted to hire an ex popular player at least Reggie Wayne was already on staff right Yeah, and, exactly. and you mentioned you would have felt it was a fair opportunity for a minority in, in certainly in this situation uh, right an opportunity uh, that that could have been deserved uh here but uh in hiring Jeff Saturday i mean it's it's it, it's it's appalling it's shocking like Reggie Wayne should be pissed Gus Bradley should be really pissed Reggie Wayne should be pissed. He's like, really? If they want to go with the next player, like at least I've, I'm already here and I I know the system. Yeah. I know the players. I'm in the locker room. I've got relationships here, right? And special teams coordinator, uh, Bubba is another one they passed over for this, who has been viewed as a sort of underrated climbing the ranks head coaching candidate. So really an appalling decision to bypass all of these people and and hire Jeff Saturday.
1: And according to the guys who cover the Colts, it's not just appalling to us on the outside. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember if this was Keith, Zach Kiefer, or Stephen Holder, who tweeted this, but one of the two said that everyone in the building was just as shocked to hear this news. And that adds to your point that Gus Bradley's probably like, wait, w- you did what? Like, he probably. <laughs> When he saw Frank Reich's fired, he probably thought, oh, I should be getting a call from Ursay soon here to discuss potential, you know, like what I could bring as an interim head coach. And instead, he probably gets a news report that Jeff Saturday's been hired and thinking like, what in the hell is going on here? So it's really a shame that the Titans don't get to play the Colts again. Yeah. <laughs> I know that they already swept them, so it's like they got the two wins. But there would be, be some nice little, like, fresh meat on the schedule ahead for, you know, a potentially easier time than, you know, facing the – uh the the Bengals or the Eagles or the Chart even the Chargers or the Cowboys. Like there's some tough games left on the Titans schedule. And I think we should quickly discuss their playoff standings. Titans now, after losing on Sunday night, hold the four seed if the playoffs started today. It's a little early to even really talk about it, but they would hold the four seed. Um, they they lose the tiebreaker to Baltimore, who's also five and three playing on Monday night. Uh Baltimore could be six and three by the time you listen to this podcast. Um, because of their strength of victory, the Titans Um, Of all teams with a winning record right now, the Titans have the lowest strength of victory, uh, where their opponents have won 33% of their games. So that's not necessarily a good... Like, the Titans' schedule has been... You know, that five-game win streak was against five teams that are pretty bad. Um, So does that bode well going forward? I don't know. Titans' upcoming schedule, they got Denver... Um, this weekend, and then they have a Thursday night game with a very much struggling Green Bay Packers team that looks a lot less daunting than it did when the schedule came out. So I do think that that's a very winnable game for this team. Then they play the Bengals, who had a huge bounce-back win this weekend against the Panthers. Then they go play Philly, in Philly, A.J. Brown revenge game, uh, who was tweeting last night, by the way, none of these receivers are getting open or something. I mean, he was just trolling Titans fans on Twitter last night. Then they get Jacksonville. That's a very winnable game. Then the chargers in LA chargers have been one of the most inconsistent teams this year. And then they close out the season with Houston, Dallas, which is a tough game. And finally Jacksonville, which, you know, I look at this Titan schedule coming up and I think they could finish anywhere between 10 and seven and 12 and five, depending on how some of these tougher games go, you know, against teams like the Bengals and the Eagles who are pretty good teams. And, um, Regardless, the Titans should end up with nothing less than the four seed because I truly don't see how they lose this division unless Ryan Tannehill just doesn't play again this year.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think they're the they'll they'll probably be the third, the three or four seed at this point. Probably not going to catch Buffalo or Kansas City when it's all said and done. But that means you win the division. It means you get a home playoff game. Uh, You can't ask for much more. This schedule is pretty favorable in all honesty, right? Like Denver, Green Bay, very winnable games, twice against Jacksonville. Even the Chargers, Cincinnati should be really close games. I think uh, uh, Dallas is probably the toughest – Dallas and Philadelphia – are the two toughest games they have left. You mentioned the strength of victory. Uh, You said five teams, I don't blame you, of course, but it's actually four teams, right? Because they swept the Colts. They got two right, victories against right. the Colts. I had written a piece last week on the, the combined record of the teams they, uh, they've they beaten. I wrote a piece for Broadway called "The uh, Chiefs will test Titans legitimacy. And by the way, I would say the Titans passed that test with flying colors despite the loss. Think they look very legit look like a team that can go to Arrowhead in January and win in all honesty right because they could if have won 10 that quarterback yeah, yeah right they could have won this one right so um uh but the strength of victory I don't know what it is now updated but I think going into this game it was something like 10 18 and and two because you have the two ties with the Colts and Texans but you beat the Colts up uh, twice you beat the Texans you beat the Raiders and you beat the Washington commanders certainly not that impressive so I'm not shocked to hear the strength of victory is what it is uh, but with that said this team, in all honesty, is going to meet my expectations. And my expectations were slightly higher than than most nat- people coming into the year, national media at least, that thought we were all going to be terrible, right? Right. I said this team, anything less than 10 wins is a disappointment. And I firmly believe that they will win 10 plus games.
1: I do, I do too. There's five more games on this schedule that are wins and there could be more. So that starts next week against the Denver Broncos. And we will be back later this week to preview that game. That'll do it for this rather long edition of the music city audible podcast recapping titans at chiefs we will be back later this week as i just said thanks to the pharmacy burger parlor and beer garden for this episode thanks to broadway sports media and 440 sports make sure you're checking out broadwaysportsmedia.com where you could sign up for an insider pass and become a broadway insider today
0: yeah become a broadway insider today it's 6.99 a month You could use the code insider to get your first month for just 99 cents or use the code annual uh, for a total of 49.99 for your first year lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a broadway insider we've got the mike herndon show uh behind the paywall that's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite mike miracles mike herndon that's obviously a big perk to becoming a broadway insider you get early access to some of the podcasts uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F Words Pod, uh, it's coming from Easton. There's a lot of content coming your way if you're a Broadway insider. Become an insider today, you won't regret it.
1: And also be sure to check out all of the amazing podcasts and other offerings that Broadway Sports has to offer. BroadwaySportsMedia.com. All right. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. We'll be back later this week. As I, That's the third time I said it. And until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.